Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored, a podcast on sustainability and innovation in business and economy. A safe and friendly place to learn more about sustainability across industries. My name is Anna, and I'm your podcast host. Every week, I invite one professional in the field to share groundbreaking ideas on sustainability in certain sphere, shed light on complicated concepts, and explore them as deep as possible with me. Today is Thursday, and that means a new episode is released on this podcast. You're listening to episode number 22, season 2, and you're about to hear some interesting thoughts about innovative solution on algae-containing textile from a UK-based startup called Post Carbon Lab. I invited Yang Zhen Lin, one of the co-founders of Post Carbon Lab, for an interview to learn more about this sustainable fashion technological solution. Dian Zhen is a transdisciplinary designer with the academic rigor of a researcher, the analytical rationality of a scientist, and the aesthetic sensitivity of an artist. With over eight years of professional experience, she has worked across design research, material research, costume, fashion and graphic design, system design, and even filmmaking. The philosophy that has been pushing her trajectory towards improving the status quo by active engagement and interdisciplinary collaboration is design should always be drenched in sustainability and dignity. Join us for this exciting audio journey and let's get it started. So, hi, Uh, my guest today, hello, Uh, my guest today is Post Carbon Love and one of the co-founders, Dian Zhen Lin. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second co-founder is uh, busy a little bit today, he will not join the call. Uh, Mm -hmm. His name is Hans Hulstert. So, Post Carbon Love, uh, a little bit of pre-story. I came across um, an article on The Guardian on the sustainable fashion brands or startups, new companies that will change the world very soon <laughs> and are helping to tackle climate change. So I invited Dian Jen, or DJ as she calls herself, DNJ for the first letters of, uh, of the name, uh, to tell me more about the technology, about her views on the sustainable fashion, on the future of, uh, that awaits us. So. Very happy to have you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And extremely excited and intrigued already to hear more about what you have to share today with me and the listeners of Sustainability Explored. So mm-hmm. let's start. Could you tell me more about the technology? What I know and what the Guardian briefly shared with me is that mm-hmm. um, you're work- working on the new textile, kind of, you correct me if, I, if I'm wrong on the terms, Mm-hmm. Uh, that is made of algae. Mm-hmm. So what exactly did you come up w- in your research with and what is it? So it's actually not a new material and we don't frame ourselves as a new textile per se. Um, but we see it as more like a ser- we, we, we see ourselves more like a service provider, meaning that we um, help people to treat their textiles with our processes. So the term we call, the the processing, the treatment, we call it a photosynthesis coating. 
meaning that um, we're using a living layer of uh, photosynthetic microorganisms, which will employ either algae or cyanobacteria to form a living layer on top of um, most sort of uh, porous, uh, fibrous textiles. And then we're able to um, embed these microbes on the textile surface to create uh, or, and, then, and then subsist them on top of these textiles then um, they're able to conduct photosynthesis during the use of ACE. So that's the kind mm -hmm. of whole uh, idea and how the textiles that have undergone our processes works. Okay, so does it mean, am I correct to say that mm -hmm. uh, this algae le level, like layer, is integrated on top of the regular textile? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's um, sort of um, integrated, intertwined, or uh, sort of like embedded, or um, sort of grown into the textiles. That's kind of the way we approach it. Mm -hmm. But um, um, there are multiple ways that we can uh, undergo the process, and the details would be depending on how each collaborator or client would be interested in pursuing how the look of the textiles would look like. Okay. So you mentioned the, the brands and the clients. Who mm -hmm. is your client and who is potentially interested in, in this technology? I mean, I'm actually not really allowed to sort of like, okay. some of them, I'm not allowed to uh, sort of disclose. Share, yeah, share, disclose the brand name because uh, we've signed NDAs and then they mm -hmm. would like to sort of keep the contents and the names. Uh, away from publicity until the project is ready to be launched. So, okay. uh, but that's why um, for, the, for the interview that we did with The Guardian, we also kept it sort of um, vague, but um, the ones I can disclose are potentially small brands. I'm not sure you would know. Mm -hmm. So they are uh, mostly like European fashion brands that we're working with. And then uh, some, some interest from the automotive industry and then some, um, um, there are people also working in interior design, working in uh, product design, working in furniture, homeware, or like shoes, accessories that mm -hmm. they get contact, uh, contacted us, you know, menswear, womenswear. And uh, we've been working on, you know, some, either some sample testing or growing some, uh, doing some uh, preliminary trials with them to see um, what's the best way to produce pieces with them. Right. <laughs> what exactly does the technology do in terms of climate change? I assume mm -hmm. purification of air. Oh, I think um, when you say purification of air is kind of an interesting. Um, how do I say this? So when in the Guardian article, it says it would clean up the air and mm -hmm. clean up the air is in the premise and is is set on the premise that we deem carbon dioxide as a pollution which is actually sometimes true because um when the ppm of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere becomes too concentrated there's a there is a chance that it becomes actually um dangerous to humans or to to humans being in that environment and so carbon dioxide can be deemed as a source of air pollution. But essentially what it does through photosynthesis is just absorb uh, atmospheric, ad, sorry, atmospheric carbon dioxide and converts the carbon in carbon dioxide into glucose or sugar, and then um, emits fresh oxygen as a waste product 
meaning that um, it's sequestering the carbon from carbon dioxide, which is a major cause of global warming. So in, in, in a way, in, in a simpler term, to explain this is indeed sort of like cleaning the air, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily working with, say, um, you know, nitrous oxides. I mean, we're working on one um, a, a sort of a new process that it's able to actually tackle um, air pollution and then sort of convert uh, like nitrogen sourced uh, air pollutants into nutrients for these organisms. But um, what we have now at the moment is purely sort of working with carbon dioxide and not sort of like, say, you know, uh, nitrogen or sulfur or, um, you know, worse um, sort of um, the waste particles generated from um, combusting, uh, combusting engines from, uh, you know, vehicles. It's not necessarily that yet, but... Yeah, it's mostly actually carbon dioxide, which is why we talk about climate change, climate emergency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope that explains. A little bit, but I still have more questions. Uh, of course, okay. So um, I un- as far as I understand, this algae level, la- layer, sorry, I keep saying level because mm-hmm. I see it in levels like fabric, I don't know, mm. pieces of plastic, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. threads uh, and then algae this algae had to be to stay a living it stays it stays a living matter right mm-hmm. and, and which means if you don't take care of it it would eventually die right it has to mm-hmm. be it yeah. has to have some light source always coming in right um it's actually not as intense as you could imagine i'm not sure how the sort of light condition is like in ukraine in the city you're staying Mm-hmm. Um, in London, it's actually quite gloomy all the time, and we have probably like we have probably like one week of summer, which is like genuinely hot. But then the rest of the day and most of the time of the year is quite gloomy. And yes, there is occasional sunlight, but that is not sort of like major or intense. And um, so the organisms that we have picked are sourced locally in London and we basically um, um, train them as well to let them accommodate better to say either the indoor environment because we often, our our clients would more uh, likely to store these pieces, treated pieces indoor. Mm -hmm. So we basically train them to be able to um, become more suitable to the indoor environment, meaning that it's got um, redder light, redder low uh, uh, light intensity, mm-hmm. and then also like um, doesn't have that height of humidity uh, concentration. So we basically pick organisms that are more suitable in this environment, and then by say giving them, you, you're probably thinking like natural light, you have to put in under sunlight or in the balcony well definitely not in the wardrobe not in the clothes no indeed definitely space. not no definitely not on the in the wardrobe but actually you can just uh, it can survive from say uh, domestic light so you know you're working on your laptop maybe all the time or if you're watching uh, you know if you're doing chores in the house and you have some you know led lights on these mm-hmm. lights are perfectly fine for the survival of these organisms and for our layer, of course. Mm-hmm. And then um, apart from that, 
um, you do have to sort of mist or like sprinkle it from time to time, meaning that depending on the humidity of your environment, um, you do have to, I mean, I don't know how the weather is like in your city, but in- You can heat, see also gloomy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pretty much in, London. I, w I would like to think oh, it's okay. like in London. <laughs> Perhaps then. Because, um, oh, well, in London, it also rains quite a lot. Like, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, maybe like three days out of five days is always raining. Mm -hmm. And um, um, in that case, the air, the humidity in the air is quite high, meaning that uh, they will be able to survive from that air, from that humidity. But the way that I found uh, the best to care for it is to um, put your pieces, treated pieces, uh, in the bathroom after, say, you've showered, because it has really high uh, sort of humidity, right. and steam, and shower coming in, and mm -hmm. you just put it there overnight, and then you put it, and then the next day you can wear it as usual. It's not going to stay wet, but you can see that the color showing that it's really mm -hmm. happy. Speaking of color, uh, which yeah. color the garments are? Mostly so, green, or at the if moment, you play with color, how does it work? Um, so at the moment, all the organisms that we've adopted for the photosynthesis coating process are green, but it has still quite a big range of green ranging from say, sort of like dark black, almost like blackish green to like more like vivid, a bit more forest kind of like woody green to like say, um, grass green sort of very vibrant and like um you know ha as if it's like sun sun shining on the grass kind of grass green mm -hmm. and then uh there's also like a sea foam green meaning like bluish green or more like sort of orange-ish green mm -hmm. and then there's also yellowish green and then sort of uh in the warmer tone it go into sort of like a brownish orange red kind of green so then we have a quite wide range of greenness Mm -hmm. And then um, this is this is this is in the case that um, the cultures so the, you're, you're taking care of the coatings in a proper way and they're happy. Mm -hmm. And in the case that they are actually not happy, that they need your love or attention, they would actually transition to a different color, meaning it could be purple or orange or almost red or yellow or white or just transparent. So right. like like it, the, the color would disappear. So it's an element that we, um, we communicate. We make sure to tell our collaborators about these first, mm -hmm. and then they decide whether it's an interesting uh, factor for them to play with it or not. But most of the time, people from the industry are not necessarily keen on the color change factor. So then we then add in some uh, pigments also derived from these organisms which we grow and then farm and, and then uh, extract them ourselves to sort of suppress the color changing factor right so that's uh, kind of the process because we do have to work with the industry and then i mean we're still piloting so we're trying to find um you know the industry is trying to be sustainable and we're trying to be um sort of as scalable or as sort of applicable for mm -hmm. them as much as possible so it's kind of trying to find that sweet balance in between these two mm -hmm. practices. The shades of green, when they, the, the variations in green, does, uh, do they mean different species of cyanobacteria? For the listeners, it's the correct um, scientific name of the algae. Um, um, I mean, 
actually we employ both algae and cyanobacteria. And yes, it, it means we either employ different, um, um, different um, species, or it could potentially mean that um, there are ways of um, sort of manipulating the colors through the way you culture them or through the environment that you've been exposing them to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so, there's, so there are several ways to achieve, no, don't worry about it. So there are several ways to achieve that sort of different coloration shade. But uh, I mean, mainly we still uh, remain in the green shade for photosynthesis coating. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking of, um, you know, different, um, diff if you're thinking, you know, I'm not actually a big fan of green and I'm not a big fan of living things. We also do bacterial pigment dyeing, which is uh, pretty commercially ready because finished piece can be treated like normal garments, washable, ironable, etc. Mm -hmm. And then it, it then works in the purple uh, shade and we're developing other colors as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, so you're growing them in the lab. How did you come up with the idea and maybe which other materials did you experiment with before you ended up using algae and cyanobacteria? Oh, uh, as in bio, as in like um, fabric materials or as in like um, the organisms that we pick? As a ma wearable material, how did oh. you come up with the idea that, oh, let's try to use living matter for, yeah. for our clothing? I mean, for, for textile substrates that you're asking, we've basically worked with um, quite, like the sort of conventional type of textiles, meaning like wool, linen, cotton, silk, hemp, um, polyester synthetics, um, you know, nylon, spandex, and um, what else? Uh, cotton? Did I mention cotton? Uh, like mm -hmm. those sort of wide range of textiles, fiber uh, compositions that um, we come across on a sort of uh, daily basis mm -hmm. that we've tried out these uh, materials. And um, we think. Um, I mean, of course, because we employ a microbiological process and um, these processes um, um, end up rendering, uh, rendering sort of organic results, meaning that um, we don't produce like a standardized look. So every single time, every single batch, every single piece of material mm -hmm. can uh, uh, present a different outlook. Um, so like in terms of like, say, how the microbes uh, prefer to be distributed on this piece of textile can be different from another piece of textile, despite the fact that they're say from a hundred percent cotton, for instance. So uh, within our process, it's really important to um, invite our collaborators to let us test with their samples first, and we basically produce like a tailored result for them to reflect on later on. Meaning, like um, you know, if I because if I were to prepare say a set of samples. Mm -hmm. uh, those samples may not be so relevant to you per se because right. because um they could still look different if it's on say your textiles and mm -hmm. um so we prefer to get um the samples from our clients or collaborators and then we treat it uh so that they know exactly how your textiles in what sort of time frame in what kind of color scheme and mm -hmm. what kind of um sort of pattern distribution they can look like <laughs> right. mm -hmm. 
Last week, I had a, an episode mm -hmm. interview on sustainable fashion with Claudia Sharakovsky. She's a, a circular fashion consultant. And we spoke about uh, pricing. If mm -hmm. an H and regular H&M or name another brand uh, t-shirt costs five bucks, mm -hmm. the consumerism approach of, of ours as, as clients, we mm -hmm. buy it fast, we consume it fast, and we throw it away fast. Mm -hmm. Your technology, if I understood you correctly, is not yet fully commercially available. But do you have any idea about the pricing? Because the technology sounds very interesting. Mm -hmm. Does the price bite? <laughs> if you're comparing us with HMN, I don't think we're in the same scheme, definitely mm -hmm. yet. But I, I also think that's another... I mean the reason that we're sitting here talking about this is because we want to explore sustainability right and you just brought up hmn and i think the sort of scale of consumption and production that hmn is currently doing is not sustainable in the beginning at all and the other pathologic thing behind this whole sort of fast fashion and cheap fashion obsession mm -hmm. is that we are expecting because we're spoiled by you know primark hmn zara thinking that a t-shirt can only be five bucks yeah. but the truth is that if you came from a fashion design background anybody anybody would be able to know that if we ourselves go to a fabric shop buy the textiles sell the textiles and then you know finish all the things and then even do like a pattern whatever that is going to cost more than five bucks, for instance, five pound, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not the, the cost on the, on say a t-shirt that you brought up on sort of anything that we see in the store is not actually reflecting the actual cost in it at all. So people all over the world and nature all over the world is taking that invisible cost. And I think we're not, we, our, for our pricing, we're already only charging the material cost. But of course, it's still going to be more than five pound. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that sort of talk in, say, scale. You know, if we're talking about global distribution, distributing, mm -hmm. you know, sweatshops, uh, like, like the workload to sweatshops in, you know, developing countries and paying these people really poorly, then, you know, what, what's the point? <laughs> right. It's not I sustainable. Mean, it's all. not sustainable and ethical at all. It's mm -hmm. exploiting people in developing countries so that we can have cheap things that we wear once and throw away. And that's not where we want to come in either. I mean, if you are, if anybody expecting to buy photosynthetic t-shirts in like a few years time with only five pounds, I think this whole conversation is, is sort of going to be a greenwashing thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, we're, try, we're saying like, we're trying to save the world and uh, we're hiring, I don't know, develop people in developing countries and then we're paying them really poorly wage so that you can feel that you're justified to be saving the climate <laughs> with only five pounds. Is that the right conversation to have actually? Not at no, all. I think, I think that's entirely wrong. I mean, at the moment we're still piloting, meaning that we are um, only charging the material cost that we employ to sort of treat your textiles or treat your garment pieces. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to lower the threshold of sustainable innovations because 
often you can hear something really cool coming up, say, you know, other algae related innovations, you know, they're trying to make um, fibers from algae and then use that to spin or to sort of weave new textiles. And then um, these material innovations are really important, but then they take a really, really, really long time to develop. And not just that, they also um, don't deal with anything that's already existing. Mm -hmm. And the most sustainable thing you can have is not the next climate positive t-shirt. No, it's what you already have. That's the most sustainable thing you can have, meaning to not buy anything new, meaning mm -hmm. to buy as much secondhand as possible. And the reason that we set up as a service provider is to sort of tackle that part in the sustainability talk, because people and companies, capitalism, the market wants us to consume as much new things as possible despite we all have i mean a lot of us have a lot of things in our wardrobe already and maybe we wear you know five out of 20 things every week yeah. and and we sort of want to position ourselves a bit more differently in this whole sustainability new material innovation kind of talk we want to tackle what's already there and then to help people that still have the need to produce new things and make those things more sustainable mm -hmm. and right. also beyond that we want to um make things not just sustainable but to make this thing to give this thing that has to exist or that is already existing another ecological purpose mm -hmm. which is why we started the photosynthesis coating mm. right when you say service providers that uh, you as a post-carbon lab are service providers what do you mean by that Mm. Oh, meaning, meaning that, no, no worries. So, um, meaning that we don't, I mean, we, at the moment, we're still exploring uh, different ways of funding ourselves. Say, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with how startups work, but so basically meaning if, <laughs> basically meaning if you say, um, if you're trying to start a company, right? And you're trying to um, say, um, gather as much funding so you can, you know, buy equipment, buy the materials, you know, hire offices and hire people, for instance. But then a lot of time before, say, you have the people coming in, the equipment coming in, you are still not ready to, say, produce anything to, like, sell whatever, in for mm -hmm. instance, uh, like, like the next instant, meaning that there's a gap of, like, uh, the funding coming in and the things that you need to have to pay for already to actually start generating revenue. So um, a lot of the startups in our stage would say to choose to work with a minimum viable product, meaning mm -hmm. like some like a tote bag or like a badge or like a like a small, you know, cup or something. Something yeah. that's like easy, small and cheap, so that they can like start making these products to bring in revenues already. Mm -hmm. And this is a very common uh, sort of approach when people try to um, generate revenue to be able to kickstart their company. But that also means we will have, in, 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 that, in that sense, meaning we will have to start selling new products that, you know, people already have cups, people already have coasters, people already have, I don't know, I don't know, bags or tote bags, for instance. Mm -hmm. and. The fact that we are, if we were to take the routes that normal startups would take, meaning that we have to produce more, we have to produce things that actually people might already have. And it just comes with a new twist or new perk or, you know, they 
um, buy it as a gift, as a novelty gift to give to other people. Mm -hmm. But this whole thing is still promoting consumption, promoting them to have things that they don't necessarily need, but they kind of want. So we're kind that, of that's the feeling to... I get, you know, I'm like, what's the price? What's the price? Well, let's say in two years you have this commercially available, how much it will cost to me on my individual level. Maybe I don't need a new, new thing, but it sounds so appealing. But, but I'm, I'm the most sustainable person in terms of the wardrobe that I know. I can wear things for 10 years. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'm, I'm, I mean, um, your question is what the price would be in two years' time? I'm not yeah, sure. My, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. I won't be able to tell you that, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. I mean, um, if we were to scale up, we are also not going to be able to, say, accommodate worldwide. Mm-hmm. But we do plan to set up, say, hubs everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, you're in Ukraine. Maybe we can still serve you through London. I mean, we probably will do some calculation in terms of what's the best way to uh, sort of control that carbon footprint so it's justified. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, like, we've got inquiries from, like, Australia, from, like, you know, Asia, from, mm-hmm. like, uh, United States. And we're thinking that um, the, what, at, at the pace that we're growing now, um, we can potentially accommodate these demands at a later date, but not now. And I really can't tell you what price it would be in that time. Mm-hmm. But um, of course, we're trying to aim to be a competitive pricing, something that people can afford. And I mean, at the moment, we're just doing these pilots and you can also afford as well. Mm-hmm. For sample testing, we charge like, 30 pound plus depending mm-hmm. on how much um you know if you sent me i don't know like of a, a meter and if you sent me like five centimeter of course it'd be a different pricing right. it would be like 30 maybe like around 30 pound to like 90 pound that we charge mm-hmm. and then you can already work with those materials and this is the price mm-hmm. we're charging now as a small company and like mm-hmm. i said we already because we're trying to encourage people to take part so we can um, gather more feedback on, say, how they treat, how the, how the coating has, um, how, the, how our processes has worked with their individual environment. Meaning, say, mm-hmm. you in Ukraine, your weather climate condition, your light condition can be right. different from London. Mm-hmm. And also, on not just the environmental factor, but also the care and the emotional level. We want mm-hmm. to collect sort of like more quantitative, not just sort of quantitative, mm-hmm. but also qualitative data on how people actually interact with these uh, materials that's mm-hmm. been treated. You know, if they actually bother to take care of them or, you know, on average, how long it takes for average consumers to uh, kill our coating, for instance. Like we need to get there more and more data on this end so then we can actually sort of improve our research and the performance to be able Mm -hmm. to you know at a more commercially ready level like you said Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i hope that makes sense (laughs) it does it does who are you by the background is it fashion or biology or engineering that's uh, (laughs) i'm very curious to know so i no i actually did i i came from a fashion design background and then i had um years of experience working in the fashion industry and it and it just didn't work out for me at all 
I hated the environment and um, the working, um, not just, I mean, people can, people are nice, but the environment is very stressful, especially before runway, runway shows and fashion weeks. You can stay in the studio until five and then the next day you have to go in at like, I don't know, eight again. So you basically sleep in the office for three hours, for instance. And, and, and it's, you're not necessarily being paid more because you're expected to work more because there's more workload and more, not more people coming in, for instance. And there are also times that's like, you know, you actually visit the factories and you see what kind of condition they're in. And then you, it's, I mean, we've all, we've all sort of heard from these kind of the dark secrets of the fashion industry, because the truth is that the fashion industry is very, very old. We're working on very, very old systems where, um, you know, slightly recently the people are putting in more technological updates and trying to digitize things, but somebody somewhere still has to sew things. We don't have robots mm -hmm. that are able to sew t-shirts yet. No, we still need people to sew it because garment making is laborious. It requires a lot of precision and it requires a lot of um, effort to to be to take these little techniques you know like you have to stretch it a little bit so the scene while on the other scene you have to like shrink a little bit or else the whole garment is not going to work and right. these things are really difficult to teach to robots and because robots are like standardized and um, I, I think there are definitely companies working on doing that but we're definitely not at the stage yet mm -hmm. and um, where, where was I? Sorry. The background. Um, we started oh, with yes, the yes. background My and background. how you transitioned into... Yes, okay. <laughs> Sorry. This, this is what happened when, when I said that I get a bit to wind up in my own little stories and stories. So, um, so I came from a fashion design background, work in the fashion industry, and then I diverted into all the other kinds of design uh, realms. But I've always had an interest in sort of scientific projects. I've did I've done scientific uh, like science fairs back in like you know high school, mm -hmm. um, and we even won awards back then. But then I didn't decide to pursue uh, science further at the point. And then after I sort of studied a master degree doing fashion and sustainability in London, then I um, uh, did a collaboration with the Natural History Museum in London, where I was able to learn more about the microbiological uh, protocols, the nitty gritty of the lab work involved, and mm -hmm. then also say like the workflow, the health and safety standards, for instance. And then that's why um, I was able to sort of be able to so, you know discover this whole new world where microbiology and the microbes that we live with but that are so invisible actually have this really powerful mechanism that we can potentially apply to design to fashion mm -hmm. and then so the discipline starts merging and that's what brought that's why um uh, we have this um we, that's why we're doing post-carbon lab where we do both bacterial pigment dyeing and photosynthesis coating, and they both use uh, microbiological processes. <laughs> Extremely interesting. <laughs> Thank you. We're running out of time. We're approaching no the end of the interview. One last mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your idea on the future of fashion? Mm, 
I think the future of fashion needs to be better than what we have now, for sure. And uh, from the rate that we can observe how fashion has changed over the past few years, um, people, we can see that people are taking interest. People are taking, uh, you know, people are asking a bit more questions in terms of who's producing my garment and how sustainable are your materials, for instance. But I think if we're comparing the rates of how people are gaining awareness and then how fast our carbon emission is like skyrocketing every year, every, sing every summer we're, we're having new high heat coming up, every yeah. you know, winter we're having new you know, snowstorms in the least expected places and time. I think we're basically kind of running out of time for the fashion industry to change. So we definitely, in the, for the future of fashion, we need something that can drastically change people's behavior, drastically change the ecological input and output from the fashion industry, mm -hmm. and then be able to say, regenerate or be able to replenish, be able to um, sort of reverse the wrongdoings that it has accumulated from uh, you know, the past to current time. And if we don't have things that fits into these three kind of categories, there's no, there's, there's no fashion industry anymore. I would add number four is um, social <laughs> aspect. Oh, definitely the social aspect. But yeah. if we don't have nature, if we don't have the environment, mm -hmm. there's no social aspect either. Yeah, true. That's, that, I mean, I'm just saying with environment, we're working on a really, really tight schedule. We have to reverse global warming within the next 10 to 12 years. And after we've reversed the global warming, I mean, of course it's best if we can have the social side of things also go hand in hand. But if there's no nature, there's no society to work with either, is it? <laughs> and there is no, yeah, no, no conver con conversation ends there. That's the Yeah, dead. and there's no fashion either. There's no industry either. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're no just like men eat, men eat men or everybody digging, you know, tree roots mm -hmm. trying to survive, eating bugs, for instance. I mean, it's kind of a dark route if you think that far. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. And we, we are doing this because we are trying to be climate optimists. We're saying, just put on a different kind of clothes and you can still do your thing, but you know, it alleviates your own carbon footprint a little bit. Mm -hmm. If you take care of it good enough, it's, we're asking the least from people already. I'm not asking you to plant trees, make donations, large donations to environmental organizations, mm -hmm. or, you know, go to beach cleanups. How many people do that? right but climate change is pressing and it's yeah. urgent and on this positive note i wish <laughs> all the best of success thank to you. post carbon lab i think with the right persistence and the right i very much liked your philosophy you know today and in our pre-conversation mm -hmm. the philosophy of um, sustainability of taking the right path of thinking also okay i produce this but i'm also thinking about the carbon footprint of my logistics of my supply chain how am i gonna ship it to australia very few people even in the envir purely environmental businesses because after all it's a business even yeah. though startup it's at the startup stage at the moment very mm -hmm. few business people think of it 
further, you know, what's no, my supply no. chain, what's my logistics, how am I going to ship it, plane, train, bus, on food, you, know, you name it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I think it's very, very vital for if any new business is coming up, they need to consider these things because uh, consume, I mean, not just on the environmental side, but consumers are getting more and more critical and more educated and more aware of these issues now. So if you're unable to justify that, just because, you know, we have to make money to survive, mm -hmm. then, you know, better businesses are going to emerge, better business models are going to emerge. And people that are pushing these boundaries are the ones that will be able to survive in the sort of next coming time. That, that's how we see it. And we push ourselves with the harshest and most radical way that we can approach sustainability at the moment. Mm -hmm. that, that's how I see it. <laughs> yes. I'm very, very, very happy to talk to you today. Thank you very much for being with me today. That was Sustainability Explored, episode number 22. Oh my God, we are approaching the end of season two. Ooh. And that was uh, Diane Jen Lin. Dian Zhen, right? Dian Zhen, Dian yes. Lin uh, mm -hmm. from Post Carbon Lab. Thank you very much and have a good day. Thank you, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>If you like this episode, I invite you to check out other episodes on this podcast. If you like the podcast in general, please leave a review, rate, comment on the platform you're listening on. We are now available on more than 13 platforms. Um, your review will help other people discover this podcast and educate themselves on issues of sustainability. Thank you again for being with us today, for listening, and until next time, take care, stay sustainable.